Hello and welcome to the Talking Guitar Podcast, brought to you by the North American Guitar, home of the world's finest guitars. It's been a little while since our last podcast was released in 2021, and you might be noticing a slight change of host here. I am Lindsay Straw, taking over from Ben Montague. Ben has charged me with picking up where he left off with these luthier interviews, and I have to say, it may well be my new favorite part of my job here at TNAG. For this first episode in 2022, we are turning an in-person chat I had with luthier Ryan Gerber into a podcast. Earlier this month, Ryan drove all the way down from Ohio to Nashville to hand deliver a bespoke guitar he had just completed for one of our customers. During his visit, he was kind enough to not only entertain all of my questions about his experience and philosophy as a builder, but also to treat us to a performance of his own original compositions on his beautiful guitars. So the playing you hear during this episode won't be Carl Minor and it won't be me, it will be the incredible Ryan Gerber himself. This interview was also released as a video, so if you'd like the full audiovisual experience, hop on over to YouTube to check it out. Otherwise, please enjoy my chat with Ryan Gerber. Lindsay here over at the North American Guitar, seated today with the wonderful luthier and player Ryan Gerber, who just drove all the way down from Ohio to hand deliver a freshly completed guitar for one of our bespoke customers. Ryan, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's it's great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. We're so excited to have you. And so I'm just gonna jump right in with the big questions. Tell us all about your journey into guitar building. My journey into guitar building. Well, it kind of started here in Nashville. So Back in 2010, 2011, when I had finished my second guitar, and I was super proud of it. After I'd finished it, I had, I had told my wife, I, at that time I had thought, you know, I really, obviously I loved doing it, the little bit that I knew at that stage. We had just been married, and at that stage in our life, we're both trying to figure out vocationally, like what are we gonna do? I really struggled with that, even after college, and um, decided that, yeah, I wanna try and try and do this and she was really supportive and so I told her one of my goals for this year is I want to meet Phil Keggy, one of my guitar playing heroes and uh, of course she just kind of laughed it off and said yeah how are you gonna do that you know but two weeks later I was I was at his house here in Nashville and so that trip here it was great to s spend some time with him he was so nice and gracious played the guitar I got to record a couple songs with him in his studio which was just I blew my mind at that yeah. time, you know, I just couldn't believe that that happened. So that was here, and and from there I I just got super excited, and from then on just did whatever I could to to you know uh, take steps and follow doors when they opened up, and and it's certainly been a journey since then. Mm -hmm. You know, it took it took a number of years before I was um, able to step out on my own and take that risk, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's been it's been great. So what did you study in college? Did it lead into Luthery at all? Or no, totally not at all. No, mm -hmm. I studied business. Okay. Yeah, just because I, I didn't know uh, really what I wanted to do. And that was what my advisor said. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> business is useful yeah. <laughs> in uh, you know many different ways. So, But I, yeah, never really had a strong uh, interest in anything I was studying at that point. Mm -hmm. So how did you end up? Did you study with anybody or like apprentice or did you just start? No, it just started off as a hobby. Yeah, yeah just wow. it was just started off as a hobby. Um, I started off with the book by William Cumpiano, mm -hmm. uh, 
which is a great book for anybody who wants to get started. And yeah, I was just in the basement of our house. I had a plastic fold-up table, fold, you know, folding table set up, and I bought a few clamps and chisels and uh, a few hand tools. And my, my grandpa lived just down the street, and he had a woodworking shop, so I had access to that as well. Um, but I spent a good year in the, in the mornings, really early before work, just, uh, yeah, trying to learn how to make this first, you know, object that looked something like a guitar. Mm -hmm. And finished that and strung it up, and I was so stoked about it. And I couldn't believe that here this thing actually sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. And the second one was a lot better, and that's the one that I brought here. You know, I say self-taught, but you can learn so much these days if you have an investigative mind and curious and, mm -hmm. and look for information and ask questions. Um, so no, no formal apprenticeship or school, but, um, but certainly have picked up a lot of things from people along the way. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. What was that first guitar that you made? Uh, it was a, I just copied a, like a D18 outline. Yeah, do you still have it? Yeah, nice. sure, yeah, that, that's one that I'll always keep. Yeah. yeah, do you still have the second one? I do, and that's the one that actually I, I play um, in my spare time now. Oh. Uh, my dad, being the super proud dad that he was, uh, really wanted me to, to build a second guitar, so he paid me. Uh, you know, a small amount of money to, to build that second one. And he had it for many years, well, for, you know, the past seven or eight years. And then finally, I just told him, Dad, this is just sitting in the case. You know, let's, I need it. I need a better guitar to play than my first one. So I've had it for the past couple of years. Nice. What are the yeah. tone woods on that one? It's a Cedar and Wenge. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you are such a great player, and um, I'm, I'm guessing you probably decided to start building because of the interest mm -hmm. in playing yeah, guitars. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. How do you, do you find that the style that you play in influences the way you build? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've never really been a flat picker, mm -hmm. so I think I learned Wild Blue Flower. That's the best flat picking song that I, that I know. Um, but for whatever reason, just gravitated towards finger style and using, you know, all of the fingers. So it definitely steered me in that direction of the type of guitar I want to make being, um, you know, very responsive mm -hmm. guitar uh, with that just, you know, sings the melody really well. So you use a lot of alternate tunings in your own playing. So do you sort of keep that in mind when you when you're building guitars to make them work better for that than some guitars might? It, it must be because I, my guitar is certainly never in standard mm -hmm. at home. And it seems like when I come into a shop like this or other shops that I'll visit, most guitars that I pick off the wall are in dad gad or drop C or drop D or something. Yeah, somebody came uh, by. And so <laughs> it, is, it is so, you know, just commonplace um, for me. Do I necessarily voice the guitar or the desi design the guitar with that in mind? Not necessarily, other than if, if I know it's going to be in a certain tuning most of its time, I'll, I'll certainly take that into account and make sure that the intonation is um, as good as it can be for that, mm -hmm. you know, certain kind of range of tuning. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, just to kind of stay with music for a little while longer, um, you mentioned Phil, Phil Kagi. Mm -hmm. um, who are some of your other influences and stylistically, where else have you sort of branched out into? I feel like I've noticed some like Celtic influence with your playing, but maybe that's just yeah, you know, I mean, I think tangential. If, if you play in, in drop tunings, it's, it's hard not sounds, to fall yeah. into that, you know? Yeah, on my playlist, if I'm going to listen to music while I'm, while I'm working, um, 
Clive Carroll was somebody who I really like. Uh, Will McNichol. I think Will, I really admire his composing, uh, his touch and technique, and yeah, the, just the tone that he gets from Tom's guitars is just so really, great. really good. Yeah. I love the Redwood Top um, guitar that he plays. Um, who else? Yeah, Pierre, Ben Susan, um, Matt Thomas and Dustin Furlow are two guys who I've gotten to know over the last year and really admire their playing and they've been just like great to get to know and, and become friends with. Yeah. And, um, Have you recorded much other than just doing demos of your guitars on YouTube? Uh, no, I no. haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. You should. It, well, it's, I, I definitely um, made it a goal of mine to do more recording, mm -hmm. uh, to demo the guitars that I make. Ten years ago, well, before before uh, before marriage and having kids and family life and just getting you know trying to make the guitar thing work, I played quite a bit more, and always loved uh, recording. Um, I actually I I think if if I wouldn't have found guitar making, I had dreams of going to engineering school or you know music production engineering school and trying to do that because I love being in a studio and. Um, yeah, just recording and playing with sounds, so. So who are some of your biggest influences um, among other guitar makers? Yeah, uh, okay, guitar makers who I admire. Uh, Burton Leggett is, was maybe the first who I, I saw his work, I saw his guitars and found some really interesting things um, that he was doing that, that, I, that I thought made a lot of sense. Um, his neck block design was one of those things that I have been using for the past, I don't know, six or seven years that I think is really smart. Just having uh, a, a much wider neck block, extensions on the, on the wings of the neck block to spread better, better support in the upper bout mm -hmm. around the sides to prevent, help prevent twisting in that area. Um, I, think that, I think the neck block area in general is really important, obviously. So yeah, just giving it a little extra support there and having a bottom foot on the block as well, I think is really smart. Mm -hmm. Some of the modern builders who I would I would say fall into the um, like I would say really classy and more uh, like simple designs who try and just keep it really clean. Uh, Dion James and Joel Michaud. Um, you know I see Joel trying you know different things with finish options, uh, color. You see you know yeah, green tops and black tops and certainly Irvin Samaji starting out. That's I I remember going into a shop for the first time where he had a guitar. And I had a few of my guitars that I was trying to sell. And I picked up his guitar, mm -hmm. a modified Dreadnought, and played it. And it just, you know, changed my whole perspective on what was possible with yeah. the guitar. Really haunted me for a long time. <laughs> so as I, I'm sure most, or a lot of builders who have played his guitars maybe could, could relate with that. But Was that your first experience with his guitars? Or like one-on-one, -on -one yeah, or in yeah. person? Yeah, and the only, that's the only one that I've played. Mm. Um, Michael Bashkin is another name that comes to mind with his designs. Um, I love his artistic detail. Yeah, he's got such a great style. Yeah, and it's, it's very cohesive and interesting and delicate, tasteful, yeah. uh, but just like spot on. I don't think he should do anything different. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just great. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, Lars Rasmussen is another one. Again, like just super clean, um, elegant guitars. My first two or three years, four years, I, I kind of thought anything was possible with design or inlay, or, and I, I really probably tried too hard, mm -hmm. you know? And then uh, at some point I, I realized that, you know, maybe I need to 
pull back a little bit, give myself some more boundaries and try and just simplify um, with the hopes that, you know, with the hopes that I'm building a guitar that will still like look nice in 20 years or 30 years or whatever yeah. and age a little bit better maybe so. Yeah, sometimes there's there's freedom and limitation, so yeah, be good. Do you have influences outside of music or uh, guitar making that you sort of draw on in your builds? Working in the garden, growing food is certainly a big part of our life, uh, our our family's life. That um, it, it goes points towards the the simple, you know, like the the theme of simplicity. Mm -hmm. You know, what else? Yeah, just just being outside and being off the screens yeah. is always good. Yeah. So I think, I, I would hope that, that that would kind of spill over into the guitars I make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like you can kind of see there's, it's not like an obviously like, oh, it's an inlay of a leaf, but there is kind of a yeah. natural flow and, and sort of structure to your designs that I can, I, can, yeah. I can see that. So you currently offer three models, uh, your RL 15.5, the RL 16, and the RL 14.5, which is the most recent one, right? Yes, yep. Um, and you used to do the 15, but why did you decide to move away from that and kind of split 14.5 and 15.5? The 15 was my first, like my first uh, original model that I made. And I, I started with the uh, Olsen SJ in mind, kind of that size of, of an OM size. And made that for, you know, a few years. And then I just, I felt like personally, I, I wanted something just a little bit bigger than that OM shape. And uh, in my mind, it became, I, I started to think more that just something a little bit larger would be the ideal finger style instrument, mm -hmm. you know, performance guitar. And so, <clears throat> so I took that, that, that 15 shape and I just, just blew it up just a tiny bit to bring it to 15 and a half across the lower bout. Kept the same outline, the same profile. What I thought would be nice, other people agreed with because then I, I really didn't get many orders for 15 after that, um, like a year out, that was, it just kind of really tapered off to where I wasn't building any 15s. So that went on for a few years and I, I just realized, well, these are just, there's too much overlap between the 15.5 and the 15. I needed something uh, to fill out more in the smaller, you know, like a double O sized yeah. guitar. So, so that's what I set out to do. And, and that was where the 14.5 came from just to, create a little more space between small, medium, and large, yeah. basically. It's just, that's how it is. Yeah, well, that yeah. makes sense. So you just brought us this, um, this brand new guitar built for one of our bespoke customers. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? This set came from a board that I bought uh, a few years ago, and I got eight sets out of that board. It was just, a, just like, I, I think probably a once-in-a-lifetime find being mm -hmm. perfectly quarter sawn. 10 inches wide, plenty long, mm -hmm. and I actually got two boards that, that looked very similar. The three or four guitars that I've made so far with those sets have just been really, really good. Um, I would say benchmark guitars for me, um, each one along the way. So, yeah. so I've been really happy with them. So you are currently building a whole bunch of guitars for some of our bespoke customers. So for you as a builder, what would you say to people who are considering that in terms of like, what are they going to get out of the experience of working with you directly to have a guitar made mm -hmm. versus just buying a guitar in a shop without having that kind of input? Yeah, well, I think the most important thing to say is just a lot, as much communication as you want or need in the process. Yeah. So, and it's something um, that I enjoy, you know, getting to know these uh, customers that I, I get the opportunity to build for. 
you know, with all of the options, what what's your thing? What do you want? What will make that guitar be the guitar that you want to pick up when you go to your, you know, if you have multiple guitars, go to your rack of guitars, you know, what will make you want to pick it up and play it? Um, so whether it's tone wood or, uh, you know, the body shape or uh, setup, neck specs, whatever, um, I just, I'm determined each time to make that guitar the one that you want to pick up and play. So, Is there uh, one particular tone wood that you would encourage players to consider more than they maybe currently do? I would say there's, there's a lot of options. Um, you know, I could give you a handful of options if you want a rosewood-like sound, a really dense hardwood, um, medium dens density uh, sets like walnut or maple. You know, there's a lot to choose from. Um, and I have a habit of kind of hoarding like obscure tone woods that I find yeah. that I think, oh, that would be really great to try that someday. You know, if it, whether right, it, it, it feels right or it has the right weight or density or just, you know, tap tone, you know that it just would work, you know. In that tone wood conversation, I'll generally say something to the effect of, um, I can point me in a certain direction and we have plenty of options. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be Coco Bolo. Yeah. It doesn't have to be walnut or mahogany, mm -hmm. you know, there's other, if, if you're interested in trying something new um, and different, we can certainly do that. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming all the way down to Nashville to hang out with us today and to deliver Hans's guitar. I'm sure he's going to be really mm -hmm. excited and we'll, we'll still have Carl demo it, but we're definitely really excited to feature your, your playing as well. Um, do you have any other, other things that you want to share? Um, like, are you going to any of the showcases this year or any big projects that you want to put the word out about? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. This is like a total honor to come and spend time with you and see the shop and meet uh, some other people who are here who I've talked to on the phone but haven't seen, you know, met in person, so that's been great. Yeah, shows, I'm gonna be at Woodstock nice. in October and the Fretboard Summit in August, which I'm looking forward to. I think that might be a little bit different from the shows that I've done in the past. Um, I think they're gonna have a lot of uh, fun things to offer. Uh, so I'll be at those two shows, and beyond that, I don't, I don't know. Awesome. Well, I think we do have two more bespoke slots available with you for next year, so if yeah. folks wanna grab one of those, they certainly can. Otherwise, we might just have to wait for the next time you have the free time to build us a, a shop guitar, which yeah. might be a while. But we'll see, yeah. <laughs> Thank you again, and if people want to check out your work, it's at gerberguitars.com. Gerberguitars.com, yes. All right. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Guitar. As of recording, we not only have a pre-owned Gerber RL15 Cocobolo in stock, but we also have an available bespoke slot with Ryan available for 2023. Next up, I'll be chatting with Irish luthier Donald McGreevy, so stay tuned. To learn more about our incredible roster of guitar makers, come visit us at thenorthamericanguitar.com. Until next time.